Well, truly, truly, it's Father's Day, and I want to say happy Father's Day to all the, the fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, and I don't know how old we go out here. But definitely, we know Father's Day, if let's be honest, men, we know it's a different day. It is so different than Mother's Day. We, I guess, years, 100 years ago, whenever they started Father's Day and Mother's Day, we must have given up and just said, you know, they'll just be different. You know, it's all the way around. Just like this son, he was really just excited about his dad, a little bit older son, and he said, Dad, he said, here's 100 bucks. Go buy yourself something that will make your life easier. He said he went out and bought my mom a gift. <laughs> took, a, took a couple seconds to sink in, didn't it? <laughs> you know how you recognize a father, right? Where his money used to be, he's got pictures of his kids in the wallet now. He don't have money anymore. It's different. I mean, it's just different all the way around. And us as men, I mean, you know, when, when, you're, when you're a man, you're growing up and, you know, you think, man, my, my father doesn't know much. And then all of a sudden when you become a father and you've grown up, you realize, wow, he did know a lot. And then that's when you realize your kid thinks you're dumb. You know, it's just this process that happens to us men. Mark Twain said this. Mark Twain said, when I was 14 years old, I couldn't believe how much my father didn't know. And then when I turned 21, I couldn't believe how much he had learned in those seven years. So fathers, it, it, there's hope for our kids. They'll, they'll, they'll get smarter. They'll realize that we actually know some things. But seriously, if you think about parenting on a spiritual level of reality, you know, our kids, what do you expect from them? They, until you become a parent, you don't understand the love of a parent. You don't understand that relationship back and forth. Um, I read this this week, and it said, A truly rich man is one whose children run into his arms when his hands are empty. Man, that's a blessing. That is truly a blessing. But this Sunday school, this, this Sunday school teacher of her preschool class had decided to do something very creative um, at one day and said, you know, no one really knows what God looks like. So she got our class. She says, what I want you to do is draw something that makes you or reminds you of God. It reminds you of who God is. You know, we don't, we don't know who he looks like. So some of the kids, you know, you can imagine they drew rainbows, right? Because they think of rainbows, Noah's Ark, and things like that, and so they do that. But some of the kids drew these big, gigantic hands because they thought of the song. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? And so the teacher was kind of fascinated by these perspectives until this one little girl came up, and she had a picture of a man in a suit and a tie. And she said, sweetie, what is this? She said, well, you said draw something that reminds me of God, so I drew my dad. That was Happy Father's Day right there, up and down, all the way around. I mean, there's no greater object or, 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 or statement that could be stated than that itself. But look, we know Father's Day is around, and some of you are like myself, and you've lost your father. So it's a day that you kind of think, boy, I wish I had some of those days back. Boy, I wish, I wish my... My dad would know how proud I am of him. Or some of us, or some, you know, you wish your dad was proud of you. Maybe you've not had the best of relationships or not even a relationship at all. And some of you have been blessed with a godly, caring, loving father in an amazing way. But if, if I can bring hope to you today, dads, there is no perfect father out there other than our heavenly father. So one of the things I, I learned early on in my life is 
know what, I want to learn from the mistakes my dad made and maybe my grandfather and even the mistakes I still are making, I'm still making, and try to help groom my kids. I've got a 29-year-old boy and a 27-year-old, no grandkids, and I'm trying to get them to learn from where I made mistakes because there is no fathers out there. So we learn over and over again. And see, we're in this book, this, this book of Mark, we're in this message series now, and we're trying to learn how can we be better? How can we grow? How can we be stronger in our faith? How can we be stronger as believers? And we started looking last week at some passages. And, and, and I need to do something today because the passage we're getting into today, it, it's just like Father's Day. You see, if you don't look at it from the right perspective, you get confused. And, and you, can, you can get confused sometimes. You know, Father's Day, I don't know when they decided Father's Day was gag gift day where, you know, dads get funny glasses and ties and things like that, or, you know, that the kids laugh at, or it's a day that the mom, the wife, buys something that she wants and says, here, kids, give it to your dad. And I don't know if you've ever had that happen before, but I'm not speaking out of experience. The deck chairs that I never wanted that we got. Um, Y'all want to ask Teresa about it when you go pick your kids up? Ask her about it, you know? Anyway, somehow or another we got this day confused, but we're not going to get these passages confused in the book of Mark. And so we started out last week looking at Mark 1 through 8, and we kind of asked ourselves, do we need to make room for Jesus in our lives? Do we need to make room for Jesus in our hearts? And if you go on Facebook or you watch us on YouTube and things like that, I try to remind you of that in our midweek reminder. And every Wednesday now we're posting something to try to remind you of what we talked about and where we're going in the events that are before us, so to keep us informed. But one of the things I reminded you of is that to make room for Jesus in your heart, in your life, you got to be ready. you got to be ready to do it. you got to be willing to make some room, shift some things around like we have to do in our suitcase. And that is ultimately by confessing, repenting of your sins and confessing of them. And you got to be humble while you do it. And that's what we talked about. But I want to remind you that Mark is a guy who's ADD, so he just gives us little snippets of each little topic or story, and then he moves on. And this week, and our, just a reminder that he's written this book to, to remind us who Jesus is, why did he come, and why are we to follow him? What are we to do? Now, we pick up here after John the Baptist had gone out there, and, and we know that story, what we talked about last week. We'll pick up in verse 9, chapter 1. Mark 1, verse 9 through 13. And so we'll hang out here all day. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out, into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. So as I was reading through this passage and I was thinking of Father's Day, it came to my mind, I guess through the Spirit, that here's the truth of this passage that I want to show you today. Your Heavenly Father can be proud of you. You see, each and every one of us, women, men, we all strive and we desire for our parents to be proud of us. And especially there's this bond between that father, that father to be proud of you. And I know there's many of you that have experienced 
that element of where you just never really felt like you leveled up, made it up, or your dad was proud of you. I, I know one of my difficulties in life was when I walked away from the secular world and became a believer in Jesus, my father was not proud of me. It was a difficult time. He didn't understand why I would leave Ford Motor Company as an electrician, making great money, great career, to go into full-time ministry. I said, Dad, it's simple. I, I can't work for Ford. I need to work for the Lord. And it was just a struggle, and I never felt like he was really at that element of being proud of me uh, early on. But I want to ensure you the truths of this, that we can make our Heavenly Father proud of us. We can do it. But I think we need to understand some stuff like what Mark is pointing out. What Mark's pointing out, we could preach probably eight weeks, ten weeks in chapter one. So I'm just pulling out different angles, but I want to bring about understanding. You see, here, for your Heavenly Father to be proud of you, you, you have to submit to him. See, he'll be proud of you when you submit to him. See, when we look at this, throughout Scripture, Jesus submitted to the Father over and over again. And in verse 9, it says, At this time, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John the Baptist, or John in the Jordan. So what, what is this submission? How is it? See, we read over these type of statements, and we don't really get into it and understand what was going on. You see, Jesus has walked from Nazareth all the way to the Jordan River. He's gone through different towns. He's gone through villages. He's gone through the wilderness. He's gone out there. He has taken this journey. You see, we think of this in the context of going out to Hannah Park for the baptism on the 26th of June. You're going to get in your car. You're going to turn the air conditioner on before you get in it. You might travel, what, maybe 10 miles or something. Eh, it take you 15 minutes or something to get there, I guess. I've never been there. I'll be there the first time on the 26th. But we, we think our Father is proud of us because of what we did during that time, which we need to. And he is honored that we're there. But it doesn't, doesn't reach up to the level of what Jesus did. You see, Jesus traveled. It's estimated this is a 60 to 70 mile journey for him to do this. And he's submitting to the Father's plan. Now, submission means this. Submit means to yield. Yield to a subject. Yield to a condition, yield to a treatment, yield to an operation. It's something that you're yielding to. Now, we got to grasp and understand. Mark, over and over again, I'm going to tell you, I hope you're reading through the book of Mark. It's 16 chapters. Read through it while we go through this message series. And, and each day, I mean, read through each chapter. And if you finish before we finish, keep one. Now, I want to share something with you. Matthew gives more details of a lot of these events. Matthew's not as ADD as Mark. Now, Matthew tells us something about this journey over in his baptism. In, verse, uh, in, in Matthew 3, 13, it says this, Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Same thing Mark said. But John tried to talk him out of it. Matthew gives us this story. And here's what is said. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, John the Baptist said to Jesus. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. You see how easy it would have been for Jesus to have walked away from following, submitting to his father's plan, his will. I mean, why are you coming to me? Why are you coming to me? And see, we're going to learn something next week about John the Baptist and Jesus. It's one of my favorite teaching messages of historical understandings of Jesus. Next week, you don't want to miss where we're going with this. 
But Jesus says, listen, I have submitted to my Father's will. And see, you and I can have these difficulties in our lives. We want to make God proud. We want to do this. And we can get sidetracked. We can have things just like John the Baptist where good things come into our path and knock us off course. People can say things to us, suggest ideas that we really have to have a surrendered heart, a submissive heart to God because it will divert us. Or something happens in our lives, and if we don't have a submitted heart, we will not follow through with what God is calling us, leading us to do. You see, Jesus could have thought, and he, he could have said, well, yeah, this is a good thing. I mean, would it have been wrong for him to baptize John the Baptist? No, it wouldn't have been. But his father, apparently, and we know, had, had conversations with Jesus because he had been out praying a lot. He had told him, no, I need you to go do this. So Jesus knew this, and because he has a, a submitted heart, his submission, he goes forward. You see, you and I can be distracted and have to overcome obstacles to stay on God's path. And about three weeks from now, we're going to really talk about that. How do we overcome obstacles? How do we overcome distractions to stay focused? You see, when you submit, now I need you to understand me this. You've got to follow with me. Submission means this, your heart is right. Submission means your heart is right. Jesus's heart was right. And for you and I to make God proud, we need to understand this. He only has the best intentions for us. We need to take away what we may experience with our, our earthly fathers, and you can't equate that to where God is. Even if you had a great, phenomenal, awesome father, he still doesn't even come close to comparing to what our heavenly father and the love he has for us. You see, we have to have a submitted heart means the right heart to understand God has the greatest plans. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. If you have and understand the truth of that statement, you can have a submission, a heart of submission towards God. You see, God's plan for you is the best. He wants to grow us and move in our lives. So what is it God wants everyone to submit to? He wants you to submit to him. 1 Timothy 2.4 says this. This is Jesus who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. You want to make your heavenly father proud? Surrender your heart and your life to him. Go to him just like you would say to your father, I, I, I was wrong. I, I, I didn't think you knew anything, dad. But now that I'm older, I realize you knew a lot. You see, that's how you would talk to your Heavenly Father. God, I have thought I can control my own life. I can do my own things. I thought I knew best, but now I understand I can't. I'm tired. I'm wore out. You see, that's a submission that God wants. That makes him the most proud Father that exists. If you've never done that, I call upon you today on Father's Day to make it the greatest Father's Day that could ever, and that is make God your Heavenly Father. And my prayer is that right now your heart is beating, your mind is racing, and the Holy Spirit continues to speak to you because I'm going to give you a chance at the end of this message to be bold. And I'm going to call upon you to stand up right where you are at that moment that you're ready to say, I want to make my Father the Heavenly Father of my life by submission, a heart, a right heart. And then we're going to add these other things to it as well. You see, because Jesus did this. When he was baptized... He was showing submission to the Father. 
That's when his ministry started. You see, that's when he was identified, we talked about last week, as the Messiah, the Savior, the one who was coming to fulfill the redemption of the world. He was going to take all the sin of the world and put it upon his sinless self and show us how redemption was going to come forward by going to the cross. You see, his heart was right. His heart wanted the plan to go all the way through. And the second thing we can learn of making our Heavenly Father proud after we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, the most proud thing we can do. And then to do that, we can follow Jesus' example. You see, Jesus lays out an example for us. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Why on earth am I here? We said one of the things is to become Christ-like, to imitate, to become a disciple of Christ. And we're going to talk about what that means next week in its entirety, in depth of being a disciple of Christ. We said we, we're to follow his example. And remember I told you about WWJD, we love to say, what would Jesus do? Well, that's cool and good to know what Jesus would do, but I said, BLJ, you need to be like Jesus. We need to start doing the things Jesus does and follow his example. You see, Jesus, majority of his ministry had multiple reasons, but one of the reasons he did almost the majority of what he did was an example for you and I to follow. You see, he will never ask us to do anything he's not willing to do. And he was willing to submit to the Father. And we need to follow that example. And he shows us this over and over again. Like the disciples ask, hey, how do we pray? Jesus, how do we pray? And this is what he said in Matthew 6, 9. Then th this, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And he went on. That was an example. It was for us to follow, to show us over and over again. You see, Mark is pointing out that he was baptized in Mark 9. That's why he was so clear in saying this. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, the question should come, and we can get confused about this. Why was Jesus truly baptized? Why did he go through with this? Jesus never sinned. But if we go back in the next two, three weeks, and next week, we're going to start really bringing the first chapter of Mark together. You see, because in, in chapter, um, verse 4 of last week, we clearly heard this statement from Mark. He said this, This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God for forgiveness. Jesus never sinned. So why was he so adamant about being baptized? Why was it God's plan that he was baptized? It was one of the reasons was to honor his father, to show his submitted heart, and also to be that example for you and I. See, these people were being baptized. They were going into the water as with filth on them, with sin on them, and they're going down on the water, and they're coming up cleansed, saying, I have surrendered my life to God. I've surrendered my life. And Jesus comes along, and he is perfectly clean. No filth on him. And he goes into the dirty water. And he takes upon himself the sins of the world to bring them back up to fulfill the calling upon his life. That's powerful. That is some powerful stuff that he's doing. He knows the agony, the pain, what's going to come on him when he goes to that cross. It, baptism is a symbolic representation of what has happened in your heart. Jesus exposes his heart to us at that moment. He's surrendering to a painful life for you and I. You see, we can look at this and see Mark 10 and 11. It says, just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and his spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son who I, 
love. With you, I am well pleased. See, he made the father proud at that moment. He was submitting to the redemption plan that you and I can surrender to today. You're my son. I love and I'm pleased. I'm proud. And this is the example for you and I to follow to make our Heavenly Father one of many to make our Heavenly Father proud. You see, I'll repeat it again and again and again from this pulpit. You want to make God, you want to honor God, surrender your life to Him by salvation first and then make room for Him by surrendering that sin, those things in your life that you just do not like of yourself. Give them over to Him. And I'm telling you, life will be so much better. Life will be so much more you see the story of Jesus never looked good on the outside if you think of it he walks this earth and he has no home he basically has no money he has no place to lay his head down he's sped upon he's slapped he's beaten he is put on a cross to die a criminal's death when he does die he surrenders his life he's put in a borrowed tomb it looks like a disastrous story but Jeremiah 29 11 displays God's plan is always for good. Because three days later, he rose to a victory that you and I celebrate every day of our lives when we surrender to him. You see, we have to understand. We've got to have a heart of submission. We have to have a heart of following his example. And the third thing to make our Heavenly Father proud, you have to be obedient. You see, when you're obedient, you make your Heavenly Father proud. I mean, isn't it truthful that for an earthly father, it makes sense. When my kids do as I ask, I'm happy, I'm proud of them, especially when they make the good choices. And I need you to see how Mark shifts the corner real quick. He's baptized, he comes out, the Spirit of God is descended upon him. We're going to talk some more about that in the weeks to come. And he comes down, and then look, all of a sudden he changes quick, ADD. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Man, bam, like this. You see, obedience and submission are under the same umbrella, but they're different. And I need you to follow. Submission, I've already told you, is having the right heart. Obedience is actually a verb, meaning you do something. And many of us, including Kenny, you see, I have the right heart and I have the right intentions, but I never do what I want to do or follow through with it. Or sometimes I do things and I don't have the right heart. And that's not making God proud. You see, we got to put the two together. We've got to have the submitted heart, the heart that wants to do the Father's will, and then do it. <laughs> Boy, that sounds, how many times has your kids took the garbage out, and next thing you know, it's split and busted? Well, there's no rewards and honor in that part of it. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was talking about us husbands when the wives ask us to take the garbage out. The kids know better. Those husbands, we think we got it right. But seriously, this is having the right heart and following behind. And see, that, that's obedience. But then Mark wants to show us more of the obedience really quick because all of a sudden he's telling us, he's sending us, Jesus has gone out into the wilderness. Now, I need you and I to understand something very quickly. You see, we can have a wilderness experience in our lives just like Jesus did. It's an example to show us how to deal with the hardships in life, the temptations in life, the difficulties as such. See, wilderness experiences 
it, it, it's, it's something that's very interesting. And God will allow us to go through it to give us an opportunity to honor him, to glorify him. You see, in these type of things, it's a time where, you know, the believers go in there and we experience discomfort. We experience struggles and difficulties. It's not because we've sinned. It's because God wants to grow us. You see, we get into these areas and we feel like the world has weighted down on us. And it's at that moment that we can lift up our honor and glory to God at the highest levels. To the extent of what Jesus did. It says in Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, God's not going to ask you and I to give up our lives physically, but he will ask us to give up what we think is our the end of our worlds by surrendering certain things to him, walking away from certain things. And when we go through a wilderness experience, that's that moment where it's involved in some type of spiritual battle, a financial battle, an emotional battle. Something's happening within you that God is trying to groom you and give you a chance to change and be shaped and molded. You see, and we have to understand at those moments, God, what is it you want me to do? Make my heart right. Show me where my heart's at. I want to follow the examples I know, and I want to be obedient. You see, because Mark says, at once. And when you look that work up in the word in the original saying, it was immediate. Immediately, Jesus went out. You see, Jesus didn't argue with his father about the request. Why? Because his heart was right, and he was ready to go. He had immediate obedience. You see, he didn't try to figure out a better way to do this that would have been less stressful on him. He had immediate obedience. You see, he didn't just disobey. He had immediate obedience. When you have a heart of submission and a following the example and an obedience in you, when Jesus, when the Lord leads you to do something, immediate obedience is the only response. Some of you, God spoke to you this morning, and he said, you need to stand up and become my child. You need to rise up. And I'm going to tell you this right now. If you walk out of here, not as a fear factor, it's a reality factor. You will walk away and you made your decision to say no again. You see, Christ requires immediate obedience. If not, our spirit fights against. If you struggle doing what the Lord's leading you to do, here's the answer. When you know it's right, get your heart right and respond immediately. If the Lord's leading you to teach in the children's ministry at 9 o'clock, all these type of things with the youth or get in a life group, don't wait again. Respond immediately. That's what Jesus is showing us to do. We need a BLJ. Be like Jesus. Respond. But you have to deny, have to understand something. Why? How did Jesus respond in this situation? You see, it's very unique because Mark tells us, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted. He went out there, he followed, he submitted, and he did it for a reason, an example, to show us how to overcome our wilderness experiences, how to overcome temptation in our lives. You see, Jesus is going to be tempted. He's going to be tempted by the master tempter, that's Satan. And he responds in a very unique way that if you and I respond every day, our Heavenly Father will be proud. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from, the other, from what others experience. Now listen to me. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Let me tell you how this passage is misquoted over and over and over again. Pastor, the Bible says God will never put on me more than I can handle. 
It's not in the Bible. It does not exist. That passage, that phrase, that paraphrase, that does not exist. God will put more on you than you can handle because he wants you to surrender to him. But it does say the biggest promise we have in Scripture, that when temptation hits us, there is a way out every time. You'll hear me say this a lot. Satan can't make you sin. Your wife can't make you sin. Your kids can't make you sin. Your boss can't make you sin. Only you can make you sin. When we sin, we choose to sin. When we make God our Heavenly Father, the Spirit comes in us, gives us the strength to be able to overcome all things and walk away from them. But we choose not to. And this is the truth of that passage. You see, Jesus is declaring and showing us something, how to get out of this temptation, how to make our Heavenly Father together, proud of us, putting everything together, have a heart that's submitted, have a willingness to follow through and push forward. And Matthew gives us the details. In Matthew 4, in chapter 4, go read about the wilderness. And many of y'all know this story very well. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became hungry. We call that hangry in our culture. During that time, the devil came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become a loaf of bread. Now, here's our example of Jesus. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then he goes, jump off this cliff, and then he says, hey, bow before me, and you can receive the kingdoms that you see, etc. Every time Jesus gave us an example, his heart was right. He went to the word to defend himself. He said, no, this is what my father says. I surrender. He could have looked at, he could have looked at Satan and said, get out of my face. Get out of my face. And he, Satan would have had to love. But he didn't. He showed us how to make our Heavenly Father proud. He showed us how to make it through life and how to overcome things over and over again. He went to the Scripture. He quoted Scripture. You see, God brings all things together for us over and over again. You see, we have to know how to communicate with our Father. We need to know how to operate everything He does for us. You see, as we prepare to close, you see... I can teach a lot of different things. The importance of being in a life group. You see, to overcome temptation, to overcome the battles, we need to know God's Word. We need support and help. That's why we do life groups. We do life together. But most importantly, we learn the Scriptures. It's a great place to interact. None of our life group leaders know all the answers. I don't know all the answers. We learn them together. We do life together. We help encourage one another. And sometimes we might want to slap somebody in the back of the head and say, you need to wake up. And that's life together. We teach our kids. I have told you over and over again, men, women, the best way to learn your Bible, go teach those children. Oh, my goodness. I, I still, to this day, Teresa taught us the other day the song of the fruit of the Spirit. And I can still sing that song in my head if you were here at VBS. And I said, let's put it to music. Let's learn it. We can learn. But let me tell you how it all ties together. The most important part of this passage is implied, not story told. And this is what will make your Heavenly Father proud. You talk to Him. Talk to your Heavenly Father. We call that prayer. You see, you talk to Jesus. You talk to the Lord. And Mark tells us in here, a voice came from heaven, you are my son who I love. With you I am well pleased. You see, talking is prayer, but talking is two ways. And quite often, we don't grasp the elements of prayer. 
I know I'm digging into this passage a little deeper and understanding because it's implied Jesus over and over and over again talked to his father. But at the account of being baptized, we notice something back. There's an interaction that happens back and forth. And Jesus, in verse 10, comes up out of the water and he saw heaven tore open. The Spirit descends upon him. Why can we speak to our Heavenly Father with boldness? Because we've surrendered our hearts to him. And when we do, the Spirit of God comes and lives in us. It allows us to communicate back and forth. I don't know how to pray. Yes, you do. If you know how to talk to your dad on earth, you can talk to God. And you ask and you tell him, I'm struggling. I don't feel good today. I don't feel this. I don't feel that. I, I, I just don't even understand the scripture. I don't want to even be here today. You tell him that because he knows it already. You see, the spirit comes within us to give us the strength to overcome temptation. But we have to talk to God and say, how do I overcome? What do I do? How do I become obedient? Why does my heart not want to submit? And we have to listen. You see, his spirit in us and our communication gives us the strength you can realize you have a friend in Jesus. They teach that in the children's ministry every Sunday. Jesus is your friend. He's your best friend. Prayer empowers us to have the strength to overcome the difficulties in our life. But I need you to understand something. You pray today for what is coming tomorrow. You pray today to be ready to face tomorrow. If you're praying right now for what just happened, you're not equipped and you're not prepared. Jesus' heart was, had submission in it because he was prepared. He had been talking. I want you, as the band comes out, I want you to ponder this as we sing a song that maybe you've never heard before, and I really am asking it to penetrate your heart. I want you to listen to this song called Talking to Jesus. It's our closing song. It's our response song. You see, talking to Jesus, there's no wrong way to do it. There's no bad time to start it. And it doesn't have to sound pretty. Just tell him what's on your heart. You see, praying is not some religious act. It's about a relationship that's being established. It's a friendship that's being developed. You see, if you just talk to your father, it's just like talking to your earthly father. Just like you're his child. You reach up and you talk to him. I want to ask you, as this song is being played, I want to ask you, what do you think in your life is holding you back? What's holding you back from being obedient to God for what he's calling you to do? What is it that you need to change in your life? I want you to listen to this song, and maybe even we'll stand to it and sing. We'll listen, whatever God's going to do. I'm just playing this one off, and I'm going to come back afterwards at a certain point, and I'm going to ask you to respond. So open your hearts up right now and listen, and I want you to talk to Jesus.